Hello, everybody, and welcome to the 46th blockbuster episode of MTG Fast Finance, the podcast that needs Etherworks Marvel to not get banned. MTG Fast Finance is your weekly podcast covering the world of Magic the Gathering, finance, collection management, and speculation. I'm your host, James Chilcott, aka at MTG Critic on the interwebs. My co-host, as always, is Travis Allen, aka at Wizard Bumpin', and we're here to help you guys make and save money playing our favorite game, Magic the Gathering. Good evening, everyone. Looking forward to our 46th show tonight uh our show is sponsored by mtgprice.com the leading mtg finance community uh sign up today at mtgprice.com manage your collection track your specs read articles by some of the best financial minds of the hobby particular one particularly those that are still getting over colds (laughs) so what do we have on the agenda this week well this week we have a show in uh, like three and a half, three and a quarter parts. Uh, segment one is our top movers. We'll be looking at the cards that have seen the largest price increases this week. Segment two is our cards to watch. These are cards that James and I will outline that we think may go up in price. Segment three, sort of a small three, as our metagame we can review. We'll touch very briefly on the MTGO RPTQ from this past weekend. And segment four, we're going to talk about international arbitrage, uh, buying and selling cards overseas and some of the things to watch out with all of that so let's go ahead and get started uh this week um <coughs> excuse me i will start us off here on a scour glass from shards of alara uh, we're looking at foils specifically at the moment uh, this is a five mon artifact that destroys all uh all non-land and what is it non-land and non-artifact cards, basically. All permanents except for artifacts and lands. Uh, started the week at around $9. It's up to about $13. Um, so, uh, you know, a, a marginal increase, but certainly movement. Um, definitely because of Brea. It's with, Art- with Brea, this is essentially a one-sided wrath. It's like a... Uh, uh, shoot, what's it called? In Garrick's Wake is the new one, but there's an old one, too, um, that destroys everyone else's creatures, but not yours. And that oh, is okay. essentially a version that costs half of that. Yeah, you're talking about that black sorcery that uh, costs like seven or nine or something. I forget what the it's name like, of it is. Yeah, yeah. Then they re- they redid it, and it's in Garrick's Wake, but I don't remember what the old one is called. Uh, it'll come to me. Anyway, Scourglass I went looking for the other night um, because Corbin was talking about it on Twitter, and there was basically none to be found anywhere uh, in the non-foils, and there's very, very few foils left. Um, a few can be tracked down overseas, but I even went so far as to look over in Japan and still couldn't find any. So whoever organized that buyout was very thorough. Yeah, I don't know if I mean I'm sure there was a buyout going on, right? But I don't. I wonder how cheap it was, how many there were at the start of this. Um, I'm not sure if there were really that many copies in the first place. It's an old card, but I guess the demand profile for it would have been pretty low prior to this. Yeah, I mean, without pointing any fingers, there are some fairly obvious suspects that are pretty deep into the EDH finance scene that uh, have been talking about Brea and uh, Atraxa recently. So <laughs> there there are plenty of people in the know and on the ball that would be, um, were, were probably putting their money to good use um, by targeting the cards they knew were going to end up in their own decks. Uh, some, some mischievous actors, huh? Yeah, I don't think no, don't think it's all that mischievous. I have no problem with, <laughs> with people going after cards that are in short supply if they think they're going to be worth more later. That's kind of the whole point. 
But uh, yeah, I mean, uh, I tried to get my hands on some. I couldn't find any. Um, I think most folks are going to have trouble finding any online as well. But you might want to check your local store and see if they've got some stocked away. Um, and they could, these are the kind of thing you could easily find in a bulk bin or the back of a dollar or two dollar binder um, if they haven't priced it up yet. So give it a little look-see. Yep. So, uh, all right, what's next for us, James? So the other Brea card that was moving last week and is moving again this week is uh, the one out of Conflux, Master Transmuter. Uh, this is another um, Artifacts Matters card um, that I happen to have a couple copies lying around. Uh, this is the three and a blue, one, two artifact creature, human artificer. Um, for blue and a tap, you get to return an artifact you control to its owner's hand, and then you may put an artifact from your hand into play. So pretty cool. You can save an artifact uh, and put a bigger one down uh, in response and keep doing that over and over again so long as they don't kill this thing. So has a pretty obvious home in Brea, and uh, not surprised to see it still moving. Yeah, yeah. Um, yeah we touched on it last week, so... I, I would imagine this we could very well see this pop up a couple times because you know, over the week, somebody will relist a copy cheaper. It'll get bought suddenly to look like the price spiked again. So uh, that definitely comes up now and again. Uh, next up on our list is repercussion. Uh, this is the, the foil version specifically from Urza's destiny uh, started the week at 12. It's up to 20. Uh, this is a three mod enchantment that whenever a creature is dealt damage, Repercussion deals that much damage to its creature's controller. So basically, even if they block, they're still taking the damage. Uh, as best as we can tell, this is just a low supply thing. I mean, we're talking about Foilers as Destiny. So, you know, there probably wasn't more than 30 or 40 copies of this on the internet at any point over the last several years. Uh, I think somebody bought the last couple uh, saw an opportunity. Uh, so we're, you know, looking at a new price on this. Uh, of note, it is not on the reserve list, which some Urza's Destiny cards are. Um, so, you know, if you want the foil old border, you're looking at paying a new price, but we could see this pop up, uh, various places. If wizards, I don't think we'd see in standard, but a couple other places, uh, in the near future might not necessarily the near future, but the future that would chop into that price a little bit. Yeah. So Urza's destiny was the second ever foil set after Urza's legacy. Um, that's about as old as foils can get folks. So, uh, any kind of card that might eventually be, required in even small quantities in EDH or via casual play that hasn't yet popped is always a reasonable target. Not especially surprised to see this make a list sometime. <coughs> yep. All right. So another EDH low inventory card this week made a move, um, and this would be Shape Sharer. Uh, this is the uh, card out of Lorwyn, I believe, that allows you to... It's a, a shapeshifter, and it uh, for two and a blue, I believe it lets you copy a creature and play. Um, and make Shapesharer into that creature. Um, it's not really played in any of the uh, EDH uh, decks that have been getting uh, super popular in the last little while. Um, it's mostly, it seems, played in Reaper King and Lazav and sometimes Atog Atog, um, none of which really explains why it's uh, making a move, but somebody may have just noticed that there was you know, a handful of copies left and decided to go in on it at $5. And I think they'll who knows what the demand profile will be like moving forward, but they should be able to hold a plateau somewhere over 10. Yeah, yeah, for sure. Just based on how few of them there are, really. Again, foil, Lorwyn card. All these cards we're talking about have such low supply. Uh, next up on our list is Krark Clan Ironworks from Mirrodin. 
Uh, Fifth Dawn specifically, uh, we've talked about this before. It's a four mana artifact. You can sack an artifact to add two mana to your mana pool. We're looking at the foils this week. Uh, started around $9.50, 10 Now up to about $22, so a pretty big move. I'm looking over on TCG Player right now. In fact, I don't see any near mint foil zero, copies. Zero, zero copies. Yeah, there's one LP copy at 22 which is probably where that number is pulling from. Um, so these are these are gone. These are just gone, gone. Uh, definitely from Brea. Brea, you know, we talked about this before, plays wonderfully with that card. Also in, uh, on the fringes, modern combo card. So uh, no surprise to see these these dried up as well. Um, but again, like a lot of the other stuff, this is this is reasonably reprintable aside from the Clark clan naming convention. Uh, I wouldn't even put it beyond showing up in Modern Masters 15, although I would consider that an outside chance. Yeah, it, it certainly could. They would need some kind of an artifact sub-theme because a, a card that does nothing unless it has art, a lot of artifacts to sack is kind of an awkward inclusion. However, in past Modern Masters sets, there have been a few awkward inclusions that were targeted at the casual or ADH scene. Um, so it's certainly possible for it to pop up somewhere along the way here. It's worth noting that it's only ever been printed once uh, in foil. So um, I think it was in a supplemental product or, at some point, if, if I'm not mistaken. But was Card it Clan Ironworks? Was it just I mean, it fifth dawn? It, yeah, it might have been like a vent deck or something like that, but it was not in anything else. No, according to TCG, it's only fifth dawn. So yeah, uh, with with zero additional printings for in ten years, uh, not not a tremendous surprise. Yeah. Alrighty, so next on the list we have Bastion Protector out of Commander 2015, moving from two dollars to almost eight for nearly a three hundred percent gain. Um, this is the the card that uh, allows. Um, uh, commander creatures you control uh, to get plus two plus two and have indestructible so it's kind of like a, a shield maiden for your commander as it were um, I don't know why it's suddenly making a move but I'm assuming that inventory has been getting relatively low um, and it is included in quite a few decks and pretty much any of the commanders that sport white can find a reason to have this in the deck yeah I was a little surprised to see this too there doesn't seem to be uh, a glaring reason for this to have spiked, but uh, I don't know. Maybe that was just it. it. Was just was low, and people didn't realize it was as low as it was. I guess. Yeah, I mean, I'm someone seeing, took advantage of it. Seeing four sellers uh, with something like you know twelve, fourteen copies of the card left on TCG, not a tremendous amount. And the interesting, interesting thing about these Commander 2015 sets is that because they're primarily purchased to be uh, played. Um, and and stores will crack just enough to kind of sell through. Um, there's very little motivation um, for people to crack sets until the kind of uh, expected value of the entire set gets to the point where cracking them is just obvious. And that hasn't happened all that often. So it's not like many of us are stocking away like 20 or 30 of each of these decks anymore because ever since 2013 and then the True Name Nemesis deck, that's generally been a bad idea. Um, although the Atraxa deck is showing signs of making progress in, in that direction. It's just been, you know, uh, an unreliable uh, speculation, as it were. And and as such, uh, I think we're going to continue to see select cards from Commander sets make mo a move one or two years after their release. Yep. Yeah, that seems to be the, the pattern we're seeing here. All right, so what's the last one this week? <coughs> well, we're, fin <coughs> yeah, we're finishing <laughs> off with, oh, man. Get yourself Sorry, some water, guys. brother. I, I am drinking tea and water at the same time. 
Uh, we're finishing off the week on Spike Weaver. Um, this is a uh, one of the Spike creatures from Exodus. Uh, there was a whole series of them. Uh, Non-foils, because there are no foil copies. Started the week at around $3. It's now up to 16 so a pretty big movement on on Spike Weaver. Um, this is the one that allows you to fog. Uh, so all the all the Spike feeders have the there's the Spike creatures have the same functionality where you can they come into play with uh, with counters and you can move them around. Um, but they all have an ability usually that you can remove counters to do things or something like that. And Spike Spike Weaver. Uh, fogs which is really powerful because with proliferate you can just fog permanently uh and it turns out that there's a recent card that gets proliferate that would be atraxa so at the end of your turn you proliferate you put a counter on spike weaver and then you get basically a free fog at one point during your opponent's turns and if you're doing any other proliferating you can basically perma fog um so it we've seen spike weaver show up in a few places a few casual decks here and there uh just for the ability to, to fog repeatedly um, and I think we're just seeing this come to roost in the Atraxa deck here. Uh, having Atraxa and Hardened Scales in play with this card on the table oh. is pretty disgusting. Because uh, in case you've never played with the Spike cards, folks, it's a this one in particular is a 2 uh, and 2 green, 3-3. Three, three, um, because it comes into play with 3 plus 1 plus 1 counters on it. You pay 2 and then you can move a plus 1 plus 1 counter from Weaver to something else. So if you have a Hardened Scales on the table, you're taking 1 off to put 2 somewhere else. Um, and then for one, you remove a counter and fog, as Travis was outlining. So all sorts of crazy combos in the Atraxa deck. Um, the level of synergy in that deck is is uh, going to put people's math abilities to the test, I think, um, and and also bog down boards in an unbelievable fashion. So we'll we'll see how much people love Atraxa six to twelve months out. <laughs> but yeah. uh, but so far, people have seemed pretty excited. Um, and certainly, if we're looking back on the you know MTG Finance for the year twenty sixteen. The holiday season between Thanksgiving and Christmas has been very much about so far. Um, Atraxa and Brea driving uh, price spikes across the board week after week. Um, Commander 2016 doing a very good job of of creating uh, interest in cards uh, during a period where standard and modern cards weren't really doing very well. Yeah, I, it was certainly a kind of a perfect storm for that, I think, uh, in several different ways. So we'll, uh, you know, I'm still hoping that we see more come out of the uh, Yidris deck, at least, and possibly some of the other ones, too. <coughs> All right, James, how about, uh, about segment two here? I'll hack my way through the show some more. Uh, we're looking at our cards to watch, um, so why don't you get us kicked off? Sure. So my first pick this week is Sahili Rai. The uh, much-maligned Planeswalker from Kaladesh is showing signs of life, um, I received uh, word from contacts in Europe that the card was making a move over there. It had shown up in a uh, Eternal uh, uh, deck, uh, like a, a vintage deck, sorry, um, alongside Dak Faden um, and uh, a whole bunch of uh, combo-y artifact action. And people took one look at Heart of Kirin, the new uh, legendary vehicle that's coming out in Aether Revolt next month, and realized that it might be the vehicle that's necessary to make Sahili Rai uh, more interesting. Um, because Sahili plus one, um, you know, the, the problem was that it doesn't protect, and planeswalkers that can't protect themselves are often have trouble finding a home in standard and or modern. Um, but if you have Heart of Kirin in play, which is a relatively cheap vehicle that is a 4-4 flying vigilance beater, 
um, that can be crewed based on removing a, a, a loyalty counter from a planeswalker, you can uh, tick Sahili Rai up and then tick her back down to make sure she has a blocker or get in for damage, depending on what your board state looks like. Um, I also just have a sneaking suspicion that whether or not she ever makes it in uh, standard, um, she's going to, at some point down the road, there's going to be either in Frontier or Modern or one whatever format is relevant in two, three, four years. Um, somebody will find a way to, to break a, a three-mana uh, Planeswalker that can copy creatures and artifacts. Yeah, for sure. Uh, when she was spoiled and people started to figure out that sun titan combo it was it was exciting it's like oh damn this might actually be good enough um so i'm right there with you you know is is hard of kieran good enough to push it uh, i'm not sure but i think uh for five dollars she's certainly worth exp- uh considering yeah so my sell target here is to for at some point she gets up over 10 um it's very hard for her to get much lower than five as a, a mythic rare even in a fall set you could you might be able to get her on on bargain or in a trade in the three to four dollar range, but I'm certainly happy to put away you know ten or fifteen copies at five dollars and see what happens. Um, the other thing that yeah, it's very cheap. The the other thing is that Ether Revolt we're just it, they're slowly bleeding out uh, the spoilers this time because of the awkwardness of releasing uh, marketing information over the holiday season, and so um, I think that the uh, the like uh, content creator spoilers start first week of January, um, and that would be the period where I would look for Sahili to potentially spike if there are additional combo cards that seem to make her uh, much better in standard uh, moving forward. Mm-hmm. I think that's uh, oh, probably a fair, a fair assessment. All right. Um, so, what was your first pick this week? Well, my first pick is uh, sort of a half pick, a bit of a cop out, maybe. Uh, I like Scourglass right now. Um, I think this is very likely that the non-foil copies are going to move in the very short order. Uh, the reason I call this a half pick is I don't know if you can find any copies. Uh, you know, if you can grab them around $3, I think it's a great idea. When I was putting this information together kind of this morning, last night, uh, there were copies out there. Although at this point, I'm not, I'm not sure there's enough for it to matter. Uh, and even if there are, you know, one of you guys might decide to just buy them and that'll be it. But if you can find Scourglass at $3 or so, I think they're a safe bet. Uh, I'd be surprised if they don't at least double up. Um, and then I would just dump them uh, immediately. But uh, we are destined to see the non-foils on this move in very short order. Yeah, fair enough. The, um, I mean, the thing that I like about Scourglass uh, is it's basically at zero inventory, <laughs> as we were saying in the, the mover segment. The, the thing is that you're probably not going to have an easy time finding them, but if you do, they're you know probably reliable, reliably worth at least a five dollar bill each, and it could be more depending on how popular Brea gets. Hmm. Hmm. All right. So my next pick this week is another Magic Online opportunity. Um, specifically, I'm looking at sets of uh, Cons of Tarkir and Origins on Magic Online, which are still available for redemption so far. The shortened redemption schedule does not uh, apply to the older sets. It only applies to everything from Kaladesh forward. Um, I think Kaladesh goes uh, off redemption um, once Amon Ket is released, which I believe is in April. Um, so this is one of the, the last chances to get in on a set uh, uh, that, that is this old uh, through Magic Online. Uh, these kinds of opportunities aren't going to exist very much in the future, um, at least under current policies. But Kansa Tarkir, um, 
is available for about $55 a set uh, on Magic Online right now. You, you do that, you buy the, that in tickets. And so because of that, you can, uh, and tickets are often sold in the 85 cent to 90 cent range. You can get kind of a 10% discount there. Um, and then there's about a $25 redemption fee um, plus a couple of dollars for shipping, if it's in the US anyway. Um, which works out to about $80 a set for Concerturk here. And the current, uh, you know, retail value of that set in paper is about $130. Um, and, and that's just now. That's like with Fetchlands not having experienced any spikes. That's, you know, assuming that Frontier doesn't go anywhere. Um, that's assuming that there isn't another growth spike in, in uh, Magic players or that the economy uh, drives greater sales for Magic in general. Um and so, you know, potentially that could be a 50 or 60% gain. You could be looking to make pocket, you know, 30, 40, $50 or so a year or two down the road, you know, flipping these sets back out on Twitter, Facebook, eBay, whatever, depending on what kind of fees you want to accept. Um, and Magic Origins is about, is another $5 cheaper. It doesn't have the fetch lands to back it, but it does have a ton of great cards that are likely to show appreciation down the road. Um, and so that, that, that's an opportunity that you can look into if you have a Magic Online account and you're willing to uh, spend a little money. I would recommend, you know, probably pulling together something like four sets so that you can save a little on shipping because I believe that the redemption shipping is $3 no matter what, um, no matter how many sets you're ordering. So you may as well get a full play set and then you can potentially sell the, the key cards in sets of four um, and keep whichever ones you need for your various decks. I think what I like the most about this is that it's it's a good buy now uh, at the current numbers, and that doesn't factor in um, any potential frontier demand or spikes on other cards in the set. Um, you know, there's some really strong stuff from that block, uh, so it's nice that you're already ahead now, and there's still plenty of room kind of to grow in the next two to three years on those. Yeah, that's very much my thinking. The, I mean, we're talking about beyond the fetch lands and Concertark here, you have all sorts of tricolor cards that are going to be of value down the road. You've got Clever Impersonator, Sorum, Solemn Visitor, Sark and the Dragon Speaker, Anna Fens of the Foremost, Dig Through Time, Sea Shrino, Wingmate Rock, uh, See the Unwritten, Hardened Scales, Narset Enlightened Master, uh, Become Immense, uh, Sidisi Brood Tyrant. These are all things that people are going to be looking for down the road, um, and uh, we'll see. Um, but I think I'm going to go ahead and pull the trigger on four sets myself and see how it goes. Sure, sure. It doesn't sound like you can really miss on that. Uh, <laughs> excuse me. Uh, my second pick for this week is uh, Perforos, God of the Forge. Uh, we're looking, uh, of course, at the Theros one as the only one. Um, I'm looking at like a midterm, midish term pickup on this, uh, but I'm looking at the foil specifically. Right now, they're available around $20. There's a handful of them out there, uh, not too many more than that. I think you're, this is almost guaranteed to hit $30. In fact, if you look at TCG Player, there are not many copies uh, beneath 2022, and it ramps up towards 30 pretty quick there. Um, and you'll see that uh, other places as well. So this is probably the strongest of the gods i think i don't think it's unfair to say that at least in sort of casual edh circles um if you've ever cast this card in edh you realize how dumb it gets really really quickly um and it's just it's just very powerful and it, it continues to be useful in any deck that wants red in in that format uh and the gods in general i think were are a good pick to begin with i was a little surprised to see the foils on this for only twenty dollars um so, you know, if you can find these in that ballpark. Hmm? 
Well, the other thing is that it's the the only god that's seeing regular play in modern as part of Soul Sisters, um, which is uh, you know clearly kind of a tier tier two fringe deck, but there's certainly demand, um, and uh, any of the monocolor gods have the potential to be part of some kind of monocolor brew in modern if the right uh, you know tricolor card shows up. Oh, I guess my Soul Sisters was splashing that one, aren't they? I forgot about that. Yeah, that two damage with every creature that comes into play has up really fast. You cast Perforos and then untap and tap out for, uh, what is it? The instant speed one that makes tokens the X and one from the cons block. It's eight damage right off the bat. I mean, it's, but it's a the, lot. The other combo is with Norn the Wary, right? Because every time a player plays a spell or a creature attacks, Norn goes out, comes back in, and you get the two damage. Yeah, yeah. We found a way that he can finally battle, by the way. Uh, he can crew vehicles. So Norn can do something. <laughs> yeah. Right. He can, as, as long as he's got a vehicle protecting him, he doesn't feel the need to blink out. Right. So if you have if you have uh an a glorious anthem effect in play to give him three power, he can crew your heart of Kirin and attack with it, which blinks him, and then he comes back at the end of turn, and then he can crew it on defense because it has vigilance, and you've got your own little engine going there. Uh, he flies the plane at the enemy, jumps out of it, and then parachutes back in at the end of turn. Good one. So there's some, there's some hot modern tech for you guys. <laughs> Super hot. All right, All right. So moving on to our metagame week in a review. I know that what your article this week uh, looked over the modern uh, regional PTQ results um, on, uh, and uh, also looked at the RPTQs on Magic Online. Yes. Yeah. Yeah. There was. Uh, we haven't gotten too many results from. From the RPTQs this weekend, I'm kind of surprised at how little we've seen. Um, this is the only event that I was able to pull up data for so far. I'm sure there's other lists somewhere, but none that have been obviously accessible. Uh, in general, it was nothing too remarkable. I think the most interesting thing was there was a white-red prison deck in uh, at the 6-1 bracket. So we've seen this around a little bit already. It's you know the chalices and the ensnaring bridge main deck and the blood moons and uh, just trying to prevent players from getting into the game. Um, we saw Martyr Proc at five two, which uh, I haven't That's seen cool. show up in quite a while. Um, I don't know how good that is against when Infect is a key player in the format, but it's good against a lot of other places. Yeah, they probably don't want to see Infect too much. But uh, also, there was a Night Retreat deck that went four and three, not a super impressive record. But I'm I've got some relevant cards sitting around, hoping that Night Retreat uh, wins a major tournament at some point. Mm-hmm. But you know, looking through. All of these results, there was, I don't know, 20-ish decks in those results. Um, I didn't see any cards that jumped out at me as being uh, new or unique at the moment. Nothing that was not already kind of on my radar as either having already spiked or, uh, you know, saturated at the moment. Uh, but it's nice to see that the format is still pretty diverse. I'm holding out that they get rid of become immense at some point, kind of move things around a little bit. I think the format would be great if I think the format's good now. If they just got rid of become immense and pulled back on infect and death shadow a little bit, I think it'd be in a great place. Yeah, I mean, the, I agree. I think a couple of strategic bans um, to just slow down the aggro would probably put modern in a very nice place. And I think blood moon is definitely a consideration to. Uh, get pulled and probably replaced. Like, I think that keeping the I can play any lands thing in check and rewarding uh, mono uh, or 
uh, low color requirement decks. Um, I think there should be a hate card like that. I just don't think it should be Blood Moon. Um, so I think that they can print something interesting into existence. And this is another argument for the modern Masters series to start printing original cards, which is something I don't understand why they don't do. Um, sometimes the best way to plug a format is is not through um, a banning, but through the introduction of a new card that acts as the perfect foil to something that's already in play. Yeah, I still am a firm, really sus believe that they will do that i think they're just kind of waiting until they need to drag the last you know to sort of revitalize modern masters basically so uh you know we could see modern masters 17 be the last modern masters with all um reprints you know this might be the year that they next year in two years that's when they may decide okay we finally have to spice it up a little bit blood moon i could see them replacing that with something along the lines of a static orb where like you could only untap one non-basic land a turn that seems like a kind of a happy medium somewhere in between still lets people play magic but it certainly slows them down yeah i agree i mean it's they've always said that they don't test for modern but it's just silly some degree of discussion and testing must go on um and obviously that is a huge drag on resources to put together a future future league that deals with modern because of the size of the format and how unpredictable the shifts in the meta are and how abrupt they can be. Um, and, you know, a, a year ago we were talking about Eldrazi had just been banned and people were talking about how broken affinity was and a year later affinity is barely on the scene. So um, there are some legit arguments for them to, to make, but I mean, the, all of that notwithstanding, you can bring some modern expert style consultants in from the pro player pool and you know get a few uh, creative ideas together about introducing a few extra cards it doesn't need to be the whole set um but i think there it's an opportunity that's currently being missed um for certainly sure. the white for sure. certainly the white red prison deck that todd stevenson uh introduced um through the seg circuit over the last couple of months that he's been playing a lot on stream is probably one of the more interesting decks we've seen in modern um and and generated a little bit of movement on a couple of key cards um but you know the the diversity of modern is is uh is holding back and and the fact that a lot of people already have their decks um is certainly contributing uh to a a lack of movement on key cards this is also a time of year where um we're usually in a bit of a dead zone for both standard and modern cards. And then usually come January or February, we, usually, we, we tend to see some modern cards pick up. Uh, in past years, that's been because there was a modern pro tour. Now that there is no modern pro tour in the winter, I don't know how the cards will react, but I guess we'll see how that plays out. Yeah, and uh, the modern PTQ season, if such a thing can exist, is uh, over the summer. Um, the, all the PPT, modern PPTQs, I believe, take place. Uh, like June through September or something, because the modern RPTQ just happened this past weekend. So we're a ways away from modern taking back up again uh, in terms of players needing to care about it. Yep. So our topic of the week was we, was the um, the idea of uh, purchasing magic cards for either play or investment overseas and some of the things you need to be thinking about if you're looking to get into doing that. Um so certainly one of the reasons that you might want to do that is that uh, spikes do not happen the same everywhere. Um, in our experience, uh, a card may spike uh, in one of the following three locales, and then the others may or may not fall like dominoes, depending on 
why the card spiked and whether the same level of demand can be said to be true of the other regions. So certainly North America, including Canada and the U.S., is pretty tightly clustered around price movement on uh, Star City Games, TCG Player, eBay, um, and, and so forth. Um, over in Europe, it's mostly about a site called cardmarket.eu, which is uh, uh, unique in the fact that it does not allow non-European uh, members to purchase cards. So we'll talk about a little bit more about that in a second. And then over in Japan, um, there is a, quite a large and healthy scene uh, driven by uh, a few really big shops that have uh, a buying and selling presence even in North America, namely Harayuya and uh, Tokyo MTG. Um, and then there is a mysterious shadow scene going on in China that very little, uh, very few of us know anything about. Yeah, God only knows what's going on over there. <laughs> that that is that is certainly the least penetrable market I think for uh, for Westerners. Is um, I can t- I can tell you that uh, simplified Chinese cards are are tend to be the cheapest. So if you're one way to uh, cheapen your standard and or modern decks or even your EDH decks is to look for the Chinese sellers on eBay because as long as you know the cards well. Um, and you're playing with people that uh, don't have to read everything you're playing, um, you know, that can certainly be a way of knocking 10 or 20% off the cost of your uh, your deck compositions. That is true. I think uh, what I... I'm sorry, go ahead. Consequently, you're also going to have trouble reselling those cards because you may be one of the few players willing to play with them. Yeah, yeah, for sure. You're. I think you're probably on your own uh, in those scenarios. But uh, what I have noticed the most with regions is the uh the attention that those regions pay to different types of magic so for instance in america edh is a very big deal uh, in terms of prices in japan uh, for a variety of reasons casual magic is considerably less popular everyone that plays over there tends to play competitively so what that means is that competitive staples are at a much higher price and casual staples are dirt cheap um, so basically across the board, if you look at Japanese shops, their casual oriented cards are cheaper than America. And some of them dramatically so, uh, especially if you catch something in the middle of a spike uh, um, like that. So I, I'm not I'm not exactly clear on how the Western Europe market behaves relative to America. I think I know that they have more of a legacy scene over there, and I think it plays out in the prices a little bit. Um in, in this much the same way, but being aware of those types of uh, characteristics of the different regions kind of informs you of what to be looking for. Yeah, it's also worth noting that a lot of the very earliest sets, the 1993, 1994, 1995 releases didn't make their way to Japan and some of the other countries anywhere near to the same extent. And in many cases, were not printed in the languages native to those countries. Um, and that's part of the reason why legacy and, and, and vintage cards tend to command a premium in Japan, with the other half of it being, as you mentioned, that um, both of those formats uh, as kind of premium uh, top tier formats are very well regarded and and have a, a, a solid following in Japan, uh, which accounts for um, some of the uh, power drain, quote unquote, that has gone on with Japan, uh, Japanese shops coming over to North America and um, uh, buying up legacy and vintage staples at buy list um, and, you know, flipping black lotuses and time walks and and Gaia's cradles and so forth in Japan that are in in much lower supply on on that side of the world. Mm-hmm. I remember a while ago, uh, 
Saito walking through a GP. This is a couple of years ago and dropping like, I was like 40 grand or something like that. Just like walking up to the booths and clearing them out of their duels. Yeah. I mean, the Japanese shops have been partnering with U.S. shops and also just, you know, hiring teams over there uh, at our GPs on their own. Um, because they understand that the arbitrage um, can be very good. They can bring, you know, EDH cards over here, casual cards over here that don't really sell at home um, and do really well on the floor with them, um, given the really low buy list they would pay back home. And they can carry back, uh, you know, standard modern legacy staples, uh, vintage collectibles um, back to Japan and command a premium uh, at retail. So, one of the other things to keep in mind is, uh, you know, a couple of the, the bigger shops that we mentioned, Haruya, which is spelled H-A-R-E-R-U-Y-A-M-T-G.com, and they have an English version of the site, um, as does Tokyo MTG, um, is the shipping. So um, you need to be aware that when you're uh, putting together an order with Har- Haruya, who used to order uh, or used to provide a couple of different shipping options, they basically just offer EMS, which is a a tracked solution, uh, so tracked shipping that works out to about, I think we were thinking it was like 20 or $25 um, per order, means that you can't really, you know, go fishing for $3 card, you know, a single $3 card that you want to flip for $6 um, on their site. You really need to be putting together a larger order to make it worth your time. Now, the flip side of that is that Tokyo MTG still still offers uh, a cheap shipping option, but it's untracked, so you have to be willing to take that risk. Um, personally, I'm totally fine with it. I prefer to have untracked packages coming in from overseas because the other thing you need to think about um, when ordering internationally is uh, customs and duty. Um, you know, I can't comment on everybody's situation in every country, wherever you might be listening from, but I can tell you that in Canada, most of the time, um, duty is not slapped onto these card packages um, but if they're covered in a bunch of international shipping paperwork, then they almost certainly will be. Um, and so the track shipping can actually end up, uh, you know, really biting in um, on, on your order. A little while ago, I bought, uh, thought I was being very smart buying some Etherworks Marvel copies from uh, Haruya and didn't realize that uh, what the shipping was until I had already hit the button um, and then got slapped with some duty on the way in because of their shipping paperwork. And uh ended up eating about 2 or $3 per copy on $10 cards that I was flipping for 15 which isn't, it definitely is not the situation you want to be in. Um, uh, one of the ways that you can get around this is to uh, connect with people uh, online living in countries you want to deal with. Um, and uh, it might be an, you know, an English-speaking expatriate that has set up shop in Japan. There are certainly a couple of active English-speaking bloggers that deal in the MTG finance scene over there that are constantly posting pictures of uh, cool, cheap EDH or casual cards that they uh, picked up in the back of some random little shop in the heart of Tokyo. Um, and when we're talking about cardmarket.eu, i.e. trying to get cards uh, uh, from Europe, uh, you're definitely going to want to have a point of contact because, as I mentioned earlier, um, on card market, you can't order if you have an address in, in, US, in U.S. or Canada. So one of the things you're going to want to do if you want to order from card market is track down somebody on Facebook or Twitter in one of the foreign language card groups um, or on Reddit and uh, make friends and try to strike some kind of a deal um, typically, I will pay somebody a few bucks plus 10% of the value of the order um, to put together a $100 or $200 order um, on cardmarket.eu, send them the money through PayPal, have them collect the cards, and then pass them along um, you know, sooner or later in a bulk 
shipping package or, you know, uh, a little quicker depending on whether I'm trying to flip fast or flip long. Um, so that's something you want to look into because Europe doesn't uh, sometimes lags behind on pricing, sometimes leads on pricing, and you definitely want to be taking a look at the arbitrage opportunities there. Now, I'm curious to hear you talk about duties um, because, uh, again, for our listeners who are uh, unaware, James lives in Canada and I'm in America. And, uh, you know, I've ordered um, quite a few packages from How to Duty at this point, and I've never paid duty on them. Uh, you know, they still come in that EMS package and, um, you know, they're very clearly Japanese, but I've never paid any duties on that. So you're telling me you, you have paid those duties coming from that store specifically though, right? Yep, and but not consistently. It it was the last time that I ordered the package, which was since they sh- changed their shipping policy. Um, so the next time I do it, I'll be interested to note whether it happens again. But uh, certainly worthwhile noting for the U.S. listeners, which is the, the majority of you, that uh, Travis hasn't had that problem. Um, no, and I and I'm definitely in like I don't think it's been it might have been ten orders from now at this from them at this point uh, over like the last two years or so. So it's not even like one or two. Um, I've never paid them. Yeah, the other thing to keep to keep in mind about Japan is that uh, with uh, Senior Trump in the White House, the uh, exchange rate with Japanese to U.S. is getting better and better and better. Um, so I think you've got you're up to like 117 yen to the dollar, which is giving you something like a 10 to 15 percent discount versus where you were earlier this year. Yeah, it's been pretty wild ride. That's another thing to keep in mind with these foreign transactions, by the way, uh, regardless of what country you're looking at is exchange rates can play a humongous role in uh, in how those deals work out. Um, you know, when I was in Japan two years ago, it was like a 30% decrease in cost because of the exchange rate. So even a card that was stickered more expensive than its English counterpart you know, the card was $5 in America and it was stickered at 600 yen. It looks more expensive, but by the time you factored in the discount, it's like, dang, this is even cheaper. Um, so what you want to do is when you're looking at buying internationally, you want to keep your eye on those exchange rates and how they work uh, either in your favor or against you as well. Uh, you know, if you're in America right now, our dollar is pretty strong against most other countries, but um, it wasn't that way a while ago. And uh, I remember a few years ago, well, I guess probably more than a few years now, but you know, the American dollar used to be half the value of the euro uh, and there was no way you could buy any cards from Western Europe. You would just get crushed because of that. Uh, so just make sure you're paying close attention to that both because um, it can definitely make some deals much more profitable and intriguing than they would have been uh, or it can really rake you over the coals if you're not paying attention. Yeah, I mean, the, the bottom line is that the US dollar is way up against the Japanese yen, against the euro, against the Canadian dollar um, and likely to stay there for a little while. So, you know, I about a year ago, I would look at a card that say was 7,500 yen on the Harayuya site, and that would I would know off the top of my head that that was about 100 yen per dollar, so that was a $75 card. But now, you know, I'm looking at something like a Japanese foil show and tell. It's still posted at 7,500 yen, but now with the 117 uh, yen per dollar exchange rate, that's about a $64 card. So, you know, you're getting a, a pretty sweet starters discount. Um, at pretty much anything you're looking at in Japan and, and likewise in Canada. I mean, MDG Price just recently added face-to-face games, and, and uh, which is a Canadian-based uh, shop that's located in Toronto and Montreal that uh, sponsors a pro team that is well-known and does well at, uh, at many tournaments. And uh, face-to-face uh, represents about a 35% discount uh, versus the U.S. dollar. 
Now, that doesn't always translate in Canada. I'll give you the heads up uh, about you know, why uh, Canadian arbitrage is, isn't really a slam dunk right now. And it's basically because all the shops up here are referencing TCG and Star City Games pricing when they're setting their prices. So about a year ago, when this whole exchange thing uh, uh, moved away from the U.S. and Canadian dollar being pretty much equal, because for a long time we were at about a dollar five to the U.S., um, during the first year where that switched up into $1.20, $1.25, shops didn't really adjust their prices, and the arbitrage opportunities for you guys coming up to, say, GP Toronto were excellent. Um, but at this point, uh, you know, everything from comics to toys to, to magic cards has all been price adjusted because it's all sourced from the U.S. ultimately. And uh, so more or less Canadian pricing is going to be within 5 or 10% of U.S. pricing. Um, that being said, there are still a few shops up here you, you'll want to be aware of if you're looking to pick stuff up that is selling out elsewhere. Um, and that includes face-to-face -face games. It includes 401games.ca and also wizardtower.com, uh, which is based in Ottawa. Um, all of them have online stores and solid inventory and uh, are worth you taking a look at. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Um Shoot, I had something I wanted to share, and I lost my train of thought listening to you talk about that. <laughs> Sorry. Oh, dang, um, I don't know what it was. I'll, I'll uh, give you a moment and, and chime in with my last point uh, on this topic, which is that um, one of the best places to get a hold of rare foreign cards is definitely on Facebook groups. Um, there are Facebook groups that are built around non-English magic cards specifically. And uh, in particular, if I think that I have spotted a card that is... Um, especially excellent um, and so far undervalued in a new set. Um, I will often go hunting for a Russian vendor who has foil pre-release copies of set cards. So I managed to pick up a foil pre-release Jace Friends Prodigy sealed in its uh, pre-release uh, wrapper uh, on Facebook for something like $60 or something um, within the first month of its release. Uh, did the same thing with Thing in the Ice, and you know, pretty much anytime I see a, a two casting cost or less blue spell that I think is going to get busted at some point, I'm going to go hunting for Russian foils, um, because even though foreign foil demand seems to have fallen off um, over the last year or two, um, there are still very significant premiums associated with key cards uh, should they become particularly successful. Yeah. Yep. Uh, yeah. I think what I was going to say was, well, this isn't specifically what I was thinking of, but some, in any case, um, earlier you were talking about pairing up with people in other countries to get them to send you stuff. And keep in mind that you offer, if you're in America, at least you offer benefits to them as well. There, I think there are a lot of people internationally who would love to pick up some items in America at, uh, at our costs because the import fees over there um, if they buy it through like their amazon or something are extraordinary or they just don't sell it so you might be able to find some mutual relationships where you know you're shipping them some some odds and ends you know whether it's video games uh and things of that nature and they're selling you magic cards and uh definitely and definitely worth trying to find a a shipping buddy perhaps in a couple countries if this is something you can see yourself going in hard on uh and one last comment when you're buying casual cards only buy English copies. Um, I, I'm sorry if you hear that snowplow outside of my window. We had a blizzard here today. Um, you like you can get away with buying foreign language casual cards and making a profit on them, but it's extremely difficult, and you have to know damn well what you're doing um, and know what you're getting into. So if you've never done something like that before, 
don't do it. I mean, we're talking like the, the Japanese version of an EDH, a Japanese language EDH card has to be, and I'm not kidding, 10% of the uh, English value for me to consider it. Yeah, I mean, you, you have to have an EDH card that is like bottom of the barrel um, in terms of available supply and at extremely high demand and a simple enough card that somebody would feel comfortable putting it in their deck and that people would re- recognize it. So it has to be, you know, a super iconic card. Um, it, just don't do it. Um, now, oddly enough, you know, there's an exception to every rule. Just recently in the order I p- placed from Japan, I purchased Russian copies of both Etherworks Marvel and Panharmonicon, and those have been flying off the shelf. That's easily my top seller in the last month. No idea why. Um, but th- that's not a game you want to play. Those aren't dice you want to roll. Yeah, you got to You really got to know what you're doing. And you're correct. I mean, you know, we talk about Japanese foil sometimes as being sort of this holy grail or Russian foils or whatever. Um, but they they have to be uh, almost exclusively competitive cards. Uh, that's that really is the key differentiating factor here is that the casual cards are really cheap because casual players want to be able to read their cards. Competitive players don't need to read them. Uh, so that's why you'll find like, oh, gee, this chromatic lantern that's Japanese is dirt cheap. I don't know why, but man, this Japanese monastery Swift Spears costs a fortune. So that's why. Yeah. Okay. Uh, I think that about wraps up for us this week. Where can our listeners find you? As always, you guys can find me on uh, at MTG Critic on Twitter, as well as via my weekly articles on mtgprice.com. And again, I'm Travis Allen. I'm on Twitter at wizardbumpin, B-U-M-P-I-N. I write every Monday on mtgprice.com, and you can also find me on the webcast, most Mondays, Cartel Aristocrats. And I would also like to remind our listeners to check out the mtgprice.com ProTrader service. For just $4.99 a month or $49.99 per year, you can get early access to this podcast, fantastic articles by the best MTG finance minds in the business, and a sweet set of online collection management and buy list tools that will drive better returns and save you money playing Magic the Gathering. Well, James, I enjoyed our 46th episode. I think next week we're going to shoot for our end-of-year wrap-up, although I don't want to make any promises on what we're actually going to manage to put together. Uh, And hopefully uh, I won't be three octaves deeper and coughing the entire time when we record it. Well, thank you, Travis, for sticking it out with the cold. And uh, we'll see all you guys next week on another episode of MTG Fast Finance. (laughs) 